Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on Forward Radio. We're your community radio station, broadcasting at 106.5 FM from the top of the historic Hayburn building here in downtown Louisville. And we live stream to the entire world. In fact, you could be listening to us in Uganda <laughs> at forwardradio.org. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Uganda today because we're continuing our series of interviews with former Peace Corps volunteers here on the show. Uh, but before we do that, I want you to volunteer. Uh, this is a community radio station, and it requires volunteer power to sustain us. So join fellow returned Peace Corps volunteers and others here behind the microphones and behind the scenes at forwardradio.org by clicking participate and you could all also volunteer some of your cash dollars today to help keep us on the air it only takes twenty dollars a day for this great community treasure so chip in it's the holiday season of giving why not chip in and help sustain us for another year but the man i'm going to talk to about uganda today is named spencer cruz he's joining us from lexington in the virtual studio today hey spencer welcome hey justin thank you for having me today Oh, it's so good to have you. We've actually interviewed several folks about African service, uh, Madagascar and things like that, but we have not heard about Uganda. So this is a really exciting chance to learn a little bit about that nation and what service is like there. Uh, so Spencer served as a volunteer there from November of 2017 through the very end of 2019. So right before the COVID <laughs> pandemic hit, you got home just in time, it sounds that, like. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Very fortunate timing. Wow. Actually, a lot of volunteers, when they finish their service, spend a few months traveling, making their way back home. Is that something you were doing? Were you on the road? I, I was. I ended up coming home. I only spent about a month. Okay. Uh, we, yeah. We pinged around Eastern and Southern Africa for a few oh, weeks. Oh, wow. Um, and ended up concluding in Cape Town, South Africa, and then flying home from there. Oh, wow. That sounds yeah. nice. <laughs> it was. It was a great trip. Great trip. Yeah. So you served as a teacher trainer in Uganda, right? Tell us what that means. Yeah. So there, within Uganda and the education sector of Peace Corps, there's kind of two different pathways you can take. Teacher trainer, what I did, and also a primary school teacher or literacy specialist. Uh-huh. And teacher trainers, just they have these institutions called teachers' colleges where it's kind of what it sounds like. It's where, you know, they train teachers um, yeah. to, instead of having it be a specific thing in a different college or a different university. They have these, you know, entire institutions dedicated to that purpose. And so I worked with probably about throughout the course, probably about 400 students with wow. class sizes, got up to about like 70. And we just, you know, taught them how to teach more pedagogy um, and different techniques within the classroom of, you know, behavior management, different subjects, things that resonated at different ages. And now tell me about, of, tell me about your students, like what kind of ages they were and did they have higher education or were they just like high school graduates? Uh, most were high school graduates wow. um, and some didn't have a high school wow. yet, but the age range was probably about 17. I think our oldest student was in his early thirties. Okay. A lot of them were using that as kind of a, if they didn't get the grades they needed to pursue a university degree, this was kind of that intermediary where they could come continue their education. Some do go teach, but I, I noticed a lot that ended up going to another institution after that to continue their education. Oh, okay. Okay. It was really interesting. <laughs> right. It's almost a stepping stone for some, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So you served in a place called Kitabi. Tell us where in the country that is. Oh man. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to hear too, because, you know, part of Peace Corps, you do all this language training. So it's, I know it's a KI and like phonetically for us as Americans, it's Kitabi. Kitabi, right. In, in, in uh, the language 
language I learned was called Runyankore, which is like southwestern Uganda is where that language is spoken mainly in Chitabi. So like Chitabi. the K-I or the K vowels or it's cool. a ch sound. And it's, yeah, but Chitabi, man, it was great. It's in southwestern Uganda, kind of not necessarily in the Renzori Mountains, but like getting near that direction, which shares a border with the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. Oh. Um, so we're about an hour from that border. It's uh, in the southern part of Uganda. It's gorgeous temperature is not doesn't get too hot you know it's a yeah, very yeah a very nice climate uh, i'd say probably about like i've never been to california but i've heard that in like okay like middle southern california it's like you know 75 maybe 80 in the day and then like 50s at night yeah nice so I, that's exactly what it was and, uh, and how far sleep. are we from uh, lake victoria Ooh, probably about like driving, probably about four hours wow hours. so pretty far west okay and yeah. then pretty far from the capital kampala yeah, yeah, that was probably about six or seven. If I had like a private car, probably like three or four hours, but mm -hmm. public transportation about six or seven. Okay. And one of the greatest things about Peace Corps for me, especially, was the, the really lengthy training period in country where you're living with a host family. What does that look like for volunteers in Uganda? Oh, man, it's fantastic. Uh, so PST, that pre-service training. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many There's so many Peace Corps acronyms. No, we love them. <laughs> um, I know we need a glossary for all of these. Um, but yeah, during that early training period, Uganda structured where we have, at least in education, we did about six weeks without a host family and just with cross-cultural facilitators, oh, wow. some vol volunteer trainers and do some like practice teaching. We go to a different college or a primary school and do some of that. And then we spent about a month with a host family after we had finished all that. And that was fantastic. As you would expect, everyone has very different experiences. Mine was pretty positive. My host mother was very, very sweet. I had two host siblings, um, one that walked me to school every morning and <laughs> in case I got lost, you know, and yeah, that was fantastic. And got to eat, practice cooking. I'm still very bad at cooking a lot of Uganda <laughs> dishes. I like to eat them, I'll be honest, but my cooking skills never really flourished. <laughs> um, but how did I do you know survive? How, how did you how. survive? Did did folks cook for you? Did you live with a family? Uh, no, I actually lived by myself. Well, not technically by myself. It was like a a block of housing. So uh -huh. I lived with the pastor for the college. He was kind of like my roommate. We had like a townhome or like mirror houses, um, and we had like a huge shared area. But he's the one I probably spent the most time with. Just like. He yeah. had a TV um, with the satellite dish, which is pretty cool because <laughs> that's where I watched the 2018 World Cup. Um, oh, wow. Yes, yes. Soccer's got to be big there too, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was awesome. And then, yeah, I had a, because we had a couple of um, like nuns and sisters that worked at the college and some were students as well. And they, they lived right there in that block and everyone's within like, 50 yards of each other. Yeah. Give us a little more feel, too, about the country itself. You you were speaking, you became competent anyway in an indigenous language, right, to Uganda? Yeah. How, how many languages are in a place like that? A lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> Peace Corps has instructors in, I think, 12 languages. And wow. then I think there's a total of like 38, 39 that are still spoken pretty regularly. Wow. But within my region, there's kind of, it's like split down the middle. There's enough overlap especially like the Western half of the country up to a certain point. So you could understand what they were saying. Okay. For the most part. And you could communicate, which was really critical. Yeah, exactly. You know, with that many languages and Uganda's, you know, about the size of, I think Oregon is the. Is it? The okay. Geography, uh, land space. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> the same yeah, size. Yeah. With so a much yeah, bigger population, I would imagine, than Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Much bigger. And then it's a, it's a former British colony, right? So is English widely spoken? 
It is, especially in like an academic setting. Um, yeah. Like students are taught English really early on. And that's what the second half, like I was a teacher trainer. The other education volunteers were literacy specialists. And so they focused on different phonetics and, you know, literacy rate around the country. And um, yeah, so they start really early. Um, it's a second language. And sometimes it's like the third or fourth. Wow. Some of my students would, wow. they could speak English, but then they also had, you know, whatever language their parents spoke, but also if they went to a different secondary school or high school in a different part of the country, they spoke that language. Yeah. It's really impressive. Yeah. And and are there, as a former British colony, are there still vestiges of that? Like, do people have tea time and things like that? Oh, man, do they? That was probably my favorite thing. Um, I love it. And it's sacrilege to miss tea time. You you, You don't work, you come in. And it's a, it's a very community driven, at least okay. in like where I, where I live, you know, if I miss tea time, someone would be knocking at my door, like, don't work, come up, get tea. <laughs> get... And there's, I think there was like four or five different types of bananas Yes, that, that were all spread out. And so like every kind of day we'd have something different. And we usually had one in the morning that was like, you know, we never missed. Occasionally we'd have a second one in the afternoon around four. Wow. Um, Cause dinner was usually pretty late. Excuse me. Not like Italian late, but <laughs> Uh, you know, but later, later. Huh. Now, I was a, a crop extension volunteer. I did, I did agriculture, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be prying you about the agriculture of Uganda, which probably isn't fair. But do I, do they grow tea there? They do. They have a lot of tea plantations oh. in that part of the country I lived. I lived about, I mean, walking probably 15 minutes. If I had my bike, probably a five minute ride from okay. the tea plantation. Oh wow. Yeah. And is that and something like tourists go to? I think so. Yeah. Okay. They have a lot of a lot of tea and a lot of coffee is produced there. Um, okay. I know that. I think it, I don't know if it was Trader Joe's or Whole Foods. But yeah. One of my friends from Peace Corps was able to find some Ugandan coffee from the producer wow. uh, that was not too far from his site. Wow. That's in, always uh, fun for me to think about is those those tropical crops, those chocolate coffee, tea, all these stuff <laughs> that, yeah. that that was actually local food when we were <laughs> volunteers. I know. <laughs> and my apologies, Justin. Where were you volunteering? I forgot. Yeah. My apologies if you mentioned it. That's right. I served in South America in Paraguay from oh. 2005 to 2008 with my wife. And so we were a team, which was really nice. Uh, and that's something I've reflected on with some of these other return volunteers in their different settings and different types of service. The experience, I think, of an individual vol- solo volunteer can be very different from a, a, a married couple who's kind of working things out together. They have each other to rely on. And for my wife and I, we, we our skill sets really balanced each other in a lot of ways, like specifically with language. Like she was a much better talker and I was a better listener. So like we could, <laughs> we could manage to get through the day and then compare notes. It was kind of funny. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was always, you know, I, I did, I am like my partner I met in Peace Corps. Yeah. Um, but I noticed that a lot of our friends that came with their spouses. Um, yeah. You know, it is a different experience. So. Yeah. And it doesn't work out for everybody. It we, doesn't. That's we, the thing. That's the thing. Is you, you think that, um, you know, it's it's a trial by fire. Almost. It really <laughs> is. Yes. We definitely knew some some marriages that went down the tubes in Peace Corps. <laughs> but some yeah. also, they decided the marriage was more important than the service. And, you know, they went home together after, a, you know, a few months of trying to make it out there in the, there was a portion of the country, Paraguay, uh, the Chaco Desert region, which this, this particular married couple got into. It's really hard 
hard living, you know, very, very remote place, very dry, very thorny, everything, you know, lots of insects. Like it's just a rough, rough place to be stationed. So (laughs) they went back home and said enough of this after a while. But most volunteers are find a way to stick it out. Uh, What about Mm -hmm. for you? What were some of your biggest trials? I don't, you know, I, I think I was very fortunate that yeah. the biggest trial I had was more things not taking place in Uganda uh-huh. um, and not being able to come home for certain kind of milestones, right. of, you know, friends and family. I missed a few weddings, some yeah. childhood friends and yeah. uh, some, some birds, but the birds, like, I don't know, like, it would have been cool to have been there, but like <laughs> their kids are going to get older. I'll get to spend time with them. You know? <laughs> exactly. The, the weddings were, were a little tough, but my school, I mean, I worked with a great staff. My students were really, uh, really kind and patient. And I did most of my work with computers. So getting to teach, you know, that tangible skill set was really one, something they loved and were really curious to learn about. And two, just, you know, it's a, it's tangible. It's not, you know, theoretical for the most part. And so you get to see that progress oh, wow. uh, happen in real time. And so that was really rewarding. And I mean, I just had a great like little community. It was small, smaller than most. I didn't live in a bigger city or anything, uh-huh. like that, but I had a town about a 20 to 45 minute bike ride, depending on which direction, because it's like uphill, downhill, uh-huh. <laughs> um, that had some amazing fried chicken. Uh, the place oh is Lena's. Yeah, it was. So I'd ride in once a week, uh, grocery shopping and stuff, and I'd sit there and get my fried chicken and relax. And <laughs> yeah, I bet they got to know you at that place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Maria was the owner. She was fantastic. And she used to deliver. I don't know. Um, really? I, yeah, because they have these things in Uganda called boda bodas. Uh-huh. Um, Is that the um, uh, motorized three wheeler? Oh, it's not a three wheeler. It's okay. motorcycles. A motorcycle. It's motorcycles. And these guys are everywhere. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of, it's public transportation. You know right, I mean? right, 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 right. We don't have them here, but I know in a lot of countries they do. And um, yeah, she would send fried chicken on a, a boda. I'd call <laughs> her and if I was, you know, like getting out of class late or something and they'd send it off, I'd pay him. It's the same thing. It's like DoorDash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. It was uh, nice. Yeah, there's always some, some small perks to Peace Corps life. That sounds like one oh. of them. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I didn't have too tough of a service. That's you know? great. I mean, That's great. Yeah. We're speaking today with another returned Peace Corps volunteer from Kentucky. In fact, a Kentucky native, Spencer Cruz. He's on the line from Lexington, Kentucky. He served as a Peace Corps volunteer right before the pandemic hit, uh, for two years anyway, in Uganda uh, as a teacher trainer. And now he's back in the U.S., still working on international development projects with a company called Comonics. And uh, they, they do a lot of USAID contracting. So uh, USAID does uh, you know a lot of the international development development work that's funded by U.S. taxpayers. And I got to see some of that work actually as a grad student when I lived in the southern Philippines, and I was doing an evaluation of a a USAID-funded project that was my opportunity to sort of evaluate the claims of the U.S. government saying, we're we're helping with sustainable development, which was really (laughs) cool, actually. And they were. I would say it was a very admirable project in a lot of ways. So I had a lot of good things to say about it. But let's get back to Uganda. (laughs) Um, And you wanted to talk about working groups and think tanks, which is pretty cool. Tell me about that. Yeah. So this was something that kind of evolved throughout my service. Uh-huh. Um, when I got to country in 2017, they had Peace Corps Uganda. I can't speak to, you know, a lot of the other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a few different working groups and they, like labeled as think tanks. You mean we working, had one... gr- working groups of other volunteers? Yeah. Yeah. So we had, but we, I know there's like a few that are at each post, uh, peer support network, uh, volunteer advisory committee. And then I think diversity is one 
But we had those three, like diversity was a huge one for us. We also had a gender and youth think tank, a nutrition think tank. Oh, we had a sexual harassment and assault advisory committee. We had, you know, just a whole swath of different things. And I was a big fan of those because they allowed you to work one with people outside of your sector. I feel like sometimes in Peace Corps, you get so, um, yeah, especially you get, if you're like physically isolated from people yeah, in different sectors, yeah. it's it's really hard to branch out and uh, get different experience. So these kind of provided an avenue for that. Wow. And yeah, I was a big fan. I ended up working on, which is good timing now that we're in the 16 days of activism right now, Yeah, on a gender and youth think tank that did things for like International Women's Day, cool. uh, making sure we're doing like workshops on, you know, about gender-based violence and things. And usually had a big events planned for what we're going through right now, 16 days of activism. So how did these think tanks work? Would you physically get together regularly? Uh, twice a year. Twice a we year. Were, we were allowed twice a year. And um, we usually communicated kind of similar to what we're doing now. We uh -huh. used Google Hangouts outs there which or we texted or emailed because sometimes service is <laughs> harder to come by I imagine. but yeah we would just coordinate usually remotely and then try to capitalize on those meetings that we had every six months or so towards the end of my service this is kind of where that evolution comes into play and i think part of it was a staffing preference because some of those were more voluntary like they're not required by peace corps and kind of leave up to the flexibility of the administration but yeah we started phasing some of them out and kind of consolidating because they felt like volunteers were spending too much time away from site which okay. is a valid concern you know that's yeah. your, your, your primary responsibility and so they kind of cut down some of the meetings and try to make sure that we shifted more towards an environment we were where we weren't away from site as frequently Right, right. Yeah, there's always a balance there. And staying in sight uh, is always a, a big priority for the Peace Corps because that, <laughs> yeah. that's how you really get the work done and develop the relationships and not not be seen as like a, a parachuting in kind of. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Or a tourist. You know, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, living, you're living there and it's, it's important to be there. Well, that's something I want to ask you about too, tourism, because you lived in a place where tourists go. Now, no, Uganda's maybe not like, I don't know, Kenya or something like that, but <laughs> a lot of people... Uh, from Europe and U.S. probably visit Uganda, whereas I was in a place and nobody goes. So <laughs> it was really nice in a lot of ways to not ever be like confused for a tourist. Did that happen yeah. to you in Uganda? A lot, mm -hmm. yeah. Because again, in that southwestern region, uh, there's windy impenetrable forest uh, where there's gorilla wow. trekking. It's one of the only places in the world you can do mountain gorilla trekking. Oh my gosh. Um, so it was a very popular place. It's near like are you familiar with Virunga, which is, I think, on the Congo side? Mm. Um, but it's all kind of that shared mountain range. Mm, neat. Um, and then there's a national park about an hour north of me. So, like, down where my school is situated on, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot yeah. of tourism, traffic, especially once you get to the bigger cities right. as well. But, and I think the funnest part is always using the language because that exactly. was the thing that They'll break said, it down immediately. Oh, my gosh. 100%. They're like, why <laughs> is this bald white guy saying using this local language? And I'm like, I promise I've been here for two years. I'm speaking it. And that's, I think that was one of the things they really tried to highlight, you know, is the importance of language. And it's a tough, I mean, learning a language for anyone is hard. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it's challenging, but it's definitely probably the most, if not the most, one of the most rewarding aspects of Peace Corps Services. Yeah, absolutely. Learning that language. And, and I had to learn indigenous language Guarani, and that's what I did most of my service in. But we also had to learn Spanish because that was the, you know, language of the nation. Guarani was pretty much widely spoken everywhere, too. So they were both useful and they're both mixed up together all the time, yeah, uh, which yeah. was kind of fun. But I found it was actually a really fun language. Like uh, if 
felt like it, it's pretty easy to get into because you could assemble different things together. That, and there wasn't a lot of strict grammar. It, was, it wasn't a written language, right? So it was very fluid and flexible, especially when you could mix it in Spanish. So I hear what you're saying about the challenge of a, especially an adult learner. It's easier to learn languages when you're a kid, right? But it is very rewarding. It is. It is. It's 100%. And it's, you can see the immediate... Uh, it, you know, it just, it opened so many doors. It you does. Know, it, it, it did. And like going to the market, I loved like the first few times you're kind of nervous trying out the words and you're like, <laughs> you know, you're saying it wrong and they're reacting yeah. and you know, you know, it's, but then as time goes on, they're like, those are the best teachers, you know, and especially the kids, the kids will not <laughs> let you say it wrong too many times. That's um, awesome. But they're so sweet. And yeah. That was definitely one of the bigger aspects of service. Yeah, sure. totally. And of course the language holds so much of the culture too. So it really is valuable to learn it if you want to work on changing the culture and in, in, in working with the culture in a good way. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's a challenge, but worth it, I would think. I know you also wanted to talk about Peace Corps trainings. So beyond just the pre-service training, what, what else did you engage in? Yeah. So I actually ended up coming back a year later to help as a volunteer trainer yeah, for that yeah, yeah. pre-service training. And that was one of my favorite experiences outside of my site, of course. Um, that allowed me to work with the training team in Uganda and get some uh, experience interacting with like Peace Corps administration as well and kind of get behind the scenes of like yeah. those six, it's, you know, it's a three month training period and the volunteer trainers are only there for six weeks. But yeah, getting behind the scenes on that and how much really goes into getting 30 to 40 people trained up on, yep. I mean, however many top everything yeah. from using a pit latrine to bucket bathing <laughs> to you know behavior management in a class of 200 so, you know every day was just something different and I was challenging but it was, it was a really great experience because I feel like one of the things I really loved about Peace Corps is not just like the pre-service and getting to come back to that but also like the whole variety of trainings both within my sector and kind of auxiliary at the same time like we had youth technical trainings that the agribusiness team put together and kind of focusing on you know targeting youth as entrepreneurs in wow. the communities whether that's i don't know the equivalent of paraguay or some other countries but we have uh, like rolex stands where they just rolex is like a they have this thing called chapati which is almost like a, a floury tortilla uh -huh. that they have like scrambled eggs in and then like oh vegetables and you roll it up and it's like a plate like rolex is a plate on rolled eggs okay um, but yeah just targeting them and then i got had the opportunity to attend a uh, inclusivity workshop in classrooms and like take that back to the teachers about how to recognize you know certain things that may be preventing a student from learning to their fullest capacity or ways to situate a room so that everyone's you know taken into account and everything it was you know looking back on those workshops i just i think they were a really great contribution to the overall objectives in uganda yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that Amanda and I felt like was part of our our legacy too was being involved in in training new come new volunteers in various capacities, but also even developing like technical materials for the Peace Corps library and like translating things into Spanish and Guarani and uh, just just you know some materials that could be useful to incoming volunteers. That 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 was really felt felt like a good piece of the legacy for us too. And I remember actually one of my my favorite stories from our service relates to training other volunteers because one of the things we kind of discovered we worked you know household to household with all these different farmers and they were all doing different interesting things that we were trying to promote but nobody was doing them all right and so <laughs> we really wanted to get them to go 
to each other's farms and we just couldn't figure out a way to convince anybody to do that. Like we would sit around and talk about, well, you know, you should check out what so-and-so's doing, but they would never yeah. go uh, unless they were family. Like they just wouldn't, they wouldn't visit. And so we came up with this plan. Well, we've got this new group of Peace Corps volunteers who don't know anything. They're coming down. <laughs> Uh, let's do a field trip for them. And this was during the training. This was a real thing that the Peace Corps volunteers go out and do a, a field training with some in-country volunteers already. But but we need you to come with us on this tour. And so <laughs> they kind of used the excuse of training the volunteers yeah. to actually train the other farmers and get them to do that farmer-to-farmer -farmer exchange, which we were trying to make happen. So That's so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all part of the service is figuring out how to make it all work. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a... It's a puzzle that never ends. I know. Sure. <laughs> so you also did some work with Peace Corps grants too, right? Now, Peace Corps is not about handing out cash usually, but there <laughs> no. are, right? It's not that kind <laughs> not of an organization, but there are some opportunities, right? Yeah, there are. Um, you're absolutely right. It is not an easy process. They're not, you know, there's a lot of layers you got to go through before you get any funding to do anything. But yeah, we, we had a, a grants liaison there in Uganda and she was fantastic and she really helped me. And you know, part of the Peace Corps experience, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is like, I'm not there, or we're not there to like do what we want. It's just, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a vehicle for my yeah. community to hopefully, you know, contribute in any way that they see fit. And one aspect that they wanted to focus on was the computers that I was talking about earlier and teaching that information communication technology. And our principal at the school really had a vision that he wanted our school, because our college, since we send our students out to practice teach and, you know, all these different primary schools around, he wanted the staffs from those schools to be able to use our school as a resource. Oh. Um, some of them, oh, those teachers graduated from our school. And, you know, as time goes on, technology becomes increasingly more important and access to that is hard to come by in some of the rural areas, especially where this school was at. So the grant I ended up writing was for 10 computers, a modem, a router, uh, we had a projector, which was great, wow. but it was pretty much just an ICT overhaul for the school so that we did, we could have, I think we ended up getting up to 15 computers total after some contributions from the school. And yeah, we held surrounding staff to get them up to speed. We left some the training materials you mentioned earlier that we developed and I've been in touch with some of my friends from school and one of them uh, emails me now. Oh, from, Wow. Uh, from the school computers, which is great. You know, it's <laughs> kind of crazy to hear. But well, and a lot of times this grant money is actually coming from individual donors in the US and people raise money from their friends and families back home. I'm sure at peacecore.gov you could find a link to to learn about these projects and donate to them. It's usually pretty small dollar amounts. Uh it, this isn't like a big USAID grant. No. Uh, <laughs> no. but it's but it's no. still like you say, kind of a big deal. <laughs> it is, and it is, and, and especially in those rural communities communities that one dollar goes a long way you know and i think our max was about five thousand dollars and yeah. that was for like you know huge projects yeah um, building libraries or something like that yeah, yeah it's yeah. like you said they're very particular you have to account for every dime that's right thing that goes to and it's like part of that process the grant writing process is making sure that there's a community contribution so for at least for uganda we had to have 25 percent of some sort of monetary support wow. either that's the land that something's being built on or, you know, communities coming together to support funding or, right. you know, offering their services. If like, for example, some teachers would offer to help facilitate trainings and stuff like that. But you had to account for at least 25% of community contributions. Well, and that's so smart because that community match helps really mean that it's a can be a sustainable project. They've, they've bought mm -hmm. in, they're invested. 
with their own resources to some degree. And so it's not just, again, like a parachuted in, drop off a tractor and leave kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And watch it rust. You know, <laughs> nobody knows how to use it or maintain it. So exactly. Yeah. That sounds like exactly the kind of project that's needed for sustainability, which is you're listening to Sustainability <laughs> Now here on Forward Radio with me, Justin Mogg. And I'm interviewing some fellow returned Peace Corps volunteers from around Kentucky this fall and into winter here. And I've got on the line with me a Kentucky native, Spencer Cruz from Lexington, who served as a teacher trainer volunteer in Uganda from 2017 to 2019. So uh, last we heard on this show, we were talking to volunteers who were evacuated because of COVID-19 and Spencer lucked out and got out back home right before lockdown, which is crazy. But have you heard from your friends back in Uganda about how the nation is faring in this pandemic? Yeah, I was actually speaking to some friends this morning and it's it's a challenge. You know, they've got an election year coming up next year as well. Oh, really? Um, so there's, you know, large gatherings at times. Uh, different candidates come to, you know, I won't dive too deep into that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. In, in an election year, people are excited about that. And so it's it's been tough to suppress. And the, the person I was speaking to this morning was saying that it's, it's pretty bad in terms wow. of the, the pandemic. In terms of the school community that I worked at, the students are back, but they're doing distancing they're not living at the campus, from my understanding, um, and it's only year two students, but doing their best, like we all are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, yeah. all all the Peace Corps volunteers were pulled out of wow. Uganda, just like everywhere in the world when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, I know safety and security and health is, is one of the Peace Corps' main concerns, so they, they don't play around with things like that. But Uganda's a place that, you know, has has suffered from infectious disease outbreaks before, right? So this is not, like for us in the U.S., it's like, we haven't had this in 100 years. But in <laughs> Uganda, they, they maybe yeah. know how to roll with it a little more, right? Oh, my gosh. I, I think so. I think there's a certain level of uh, familiarity there. And I tried to, when this all started happening in March, because I lived not too far from the DRC border where Ebola is still Oh my God, present. yeah. And I came home for a quick two weeks in June 2019. And everyone, you know, one of the topics of conversation was like safety, security, everything. And I'm like, I'm fine. Like, I am so happy. <laughs> I'm so comfortable. Everything's good. The only thing that's a little nerve wracking is like hour and a half away is the border and Ebola is on the other side, you know? And I got back from that trip probably two days later, they confirmed Ebola case crossed. But like every like external, you know, international organization pounced on it. The Ministry of Health in Uganda pounced on it, contained it. And there was no concern. You know, they alerted me. I felt safe. To, gave me stra- travel restrictions on what to like guidance to follow and everything. And But seeing the response to that, I was like, oh, my gosh. OK, so this is what happens when something, you know, like in a, a pandemic type yeah. disease or virus comes in. I'm like, okay, we like there's things in place. We're going to be good. <laughs> Our protocols. So, ex- exactly. So March came around and like we started getting locked down. I was like, oh, this will be like two weeks, two weeks. And then, yeah, oh. curb, the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme started playing. And <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your thoughts about technology and what it's doing to a place like Uganda and the culture there, especially if you had a role in education about technology and just how much, how rapidly things are changing. I mean, it's funny to think about training people in Uganda to use computers when the computer's now in their back pocket, right? Uh, so what, what, what did the technology situation look like and how is it evolving there? Yeah, good, great question. So it's it's definitely different. Like there are smartphones 
pretty much everywhere. Not as much Apple products as you see here, of course, but they are there. They're uh-huh. like if you went to the Capitol, you're able to find those. Most of the staff at my school had some form of Android based sure. software or software based phone. Students usually had a few of them had it. We had a phone restriction at school, but most everyone I encountered had at least a like a first instinct is always to say Nokia, but I know they're not all Nokias. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, like the small like burner type phone. But yeah, and I think one of the things that blew my mind and you know, I know it's present in at least Eastern and Southern Africa because the countries that had the opportunity to travel with after had a similar system in place, but they've got a uh, almost like a currency, like a digital currency they right, use, right. Um, like mobile money and access to data is just structured completely differently. Huh. So you like for a SIM card, I could purchase, you know, up to like 20 gigs a month if I needed, if I was planning to, I don't know, stream something, which I never really did. So <laughs> never needed that much, but you could always buy as much data as you wanted and you can send money through your phone in a different way than like Venmo or Cash App or any of those things here. It's like you could go to a stand, deposit into that account. It's not a bank account. It's not related to like a, a bank account at all. And then you could send it to anyone on any phone wow. and they could go to another stand and pull that money out. Wow. Um, and that those stands where you could go, I mean, two hours off of a highway into the most rural part of the country and you'd find one of those stands. Wow. Really impressive. And, and that's got to be so important for people who like don't have bank accounts, right? And there's no exactly. ATMs, right? Exactly. It was really, it was kind of a hard concept to grasp at first, I'll be honest, especially because <laughs> it's just legit. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I put money, like I can just go to another stand and pull this out. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> um, yeah. That was one of the things that I thought was really impressive and kind of a unique. Um, and I learned later on that it was not necessarily unique to Uganda, but found throughout the region. And but with that as well, you know, like you've gotten, as people get more phones and more smartphones start hitting, social media is something that's coming up. And surprisingly, though, one of the better ways to get news. Um, wow. There are newspapers, of course. Um, yeah. But I know like a topic of discussion is electricity that comes and goes, especially in rainy season. Uh, yeah. And the best way to figure out when it's coming back was Twitter. Huh. <laughs> they're, wow. they're pretty good about getting on Twitter and you're, you could be able to act because, you know, working with computers, you need the electricity. And we didn't have a generator, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So keeping up to date, that was pretty important. But. <laughs> just, just whip out the computer in your pocket to figure out when your computer on your desk is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Not big brothery at all, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, so now you've been you've been back home for a full year now. I bet has it. It's been such a strange year. It's probably <laughs> probably can't say that it's flown by. But I wonder, uh, like, are you still having dreams in this indigenous language you learned? No, but I do find myself thinking about uh, like thing how to say it in that language oh, different yeah. ways. Especially the more I talk to like my friends from school and stuff, or like my coworkers, I'm always like I'll sneak in a sentence at the end because like. I don't know, writing it out is so much more difficult than saying it. And so I'll think about it and, you know, keep it simple. I did only get intermediate. I wasn't, you know, advanced or anything, (laughs) but, you know, the the fun stuff of like, I miss you, my friend, all all the good stuff. But I haven't dreamed dreamt in, in the indigenous language. What else has sort of stuck with you? Uh, we were joking before we started recording about my I, one thing that stuck with me is the 
completely different perception of time and uh you know meeting starting times i'm, I'm late to everything because i blame it on my peace corps service like maybe i was kind of leaning in that direction before peace corps but after it like wow oh my god <laughs> yeah. this is the life for me uh but is anything like that that from uganda really stuck with you definitely time one that is it's hard to get out of especially coming back at fresh off service yeah. fresh finish from service but Probably, I think this might be more related to teaching, just like how I phrase things, especially like when I'm giving any sort of instruction. Yeah. Because I did teach for a year beforehand, but it's like hard to break out of that teaching mentality. And now that my job's not teaching, <laughs> it's more <laughs> administrative and interesting. And um, I definitely still use a lot of um, phrases or like, oh goodness. I was, So I used to serve and bartend before going into Peace Corps and during college and stuff. And, yeah. I went back to that just before the pandemic hit and <laughs> there's a hand signal that's like signals like you come, like you come to me or uh -huh. I need you or like, please come here kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was still like subconsciously still just be like, you know, like uh, if I was serving, I'd like, and I needed another bartender or something, I'd just be like this and I'm like, oh wait, you have no idea what that means. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to like demand you to come here. It's not like that. <laughs> Yeah, in, um, in Paraguay, it's not really rude to wag your <laughs> finger under somebody's nose to say no. And we had a hard time with that when we came back. We were like wagging our fingers in people's faces like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's so interesting because you don't think about it there. It's such an, uh, a natural aspect of life. <laughs> I do know one more is, oh, goodness, I kind of forgot about it. Because now that it's been longer, I don't do it as much. But um, is uh, a lot of mmm or like, hey, like whenever you'd have a conversation uh-huh in, in Corey, you could just have a couple of people who come together and just be like oh like you would say in the local language like how's it going mm, mm. <laughs> and so i loved it i don't know why that aspect was something i really <laughs> took a liking to but coming home my parents would ask me something or someone would ask me like hey mm. and like, you didn't answer the question i'm like i'm so sorry i did but not not knowing that you're expecting <laughs> that's great <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I love it. So now you're you're back here and you're you're still kind of working on international development stuff. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So I'm working for a company called Commonics, international development organization based out of DC. Um, the project I'm working on was awarded in 2015, I think, and then started in 2016. And so this whole division of this company is created for this project because I think it's $9.5 billion over the course of about seven-year life project. And I'm still learning about it. I've been with them for about six months, but, you know, going into an international development agency, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Oh, you know, I bet. So much information coming at you all the time, but but yeah, I'm, I'm working with that. I work with DRC and Afghanistan are the two countries I'm working with and pretty much just making sure that commodities are being procured at the level that is needed in country, as well as that they're getting, you know, hitting the appropriate milestones within the supply chain to make sure that they get to country and to eventually to the patient on time. So that means this project's massive and with, you know, a lot of logistics people, a lot of procurement people, and not, I don't have necessarily as much visibility in the supplier or manufacturing or any of that. And then we also have USAID as a client. So we get to work with a lot of uh, USAID personnel, both in the countries that we're helping or, you know, uh, facilitating as well as Washington. Um, yeah. And so it's been a, it's been a great experience. And a lot of it comes back to Peace Corps very frequently. And this, as with most international development organizations, I'm sure, uh, but at least in Comonics, there's a lot of RPCVs. Yeah. And so that's a great community and always comforting to hear like that they're there and, you know, you automatically have, you know, some friends <laughs> that are going to be there. And 
Yeah, I love it. It's a great, great company. I'm enjoying the work. It's challenging. I'm an associate, so it's entry level, but I'm getting the opportunity to kind of explore and learn more about the type of contracts that, you know, these companies procure and then, you know, get some public health background as well. And especially in a time like this, it really helped me feel more comfortable in this environment. And Yeah. Yeah. Does it, does it help you feel like you're contributing to this global crisis in some positive way, even if it's it kind does. of behind the it scenes? It does in a certain sense, for yeah. sure. And it's like, it, it's, it's kind of like when that Ebola case crossed, it's like getting behind the scenes of what goes into massive distributions across, yeah. you know, 60, 70, 70 countries. Eventually, you know, the like vaccines are going to have to hit every country, but like just seeing what takes place from manufacturer to go in India to get to DRC or manufacturer in Netherlands to get to Afghanistan and oh, wow. the last mile distribution that takes place and, you know, going from production to the patient level. It's been interesting. And we have a, a massive undertaking ahead of us in the next year or so, but having that behind the scenes experience has been really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour, but we're all out of time. Spencer Cruz from Lexington, Kentucky, a Peace Corps volunteer in Uganda from 2017 to 2019. I thank you for your service, and uh, I appreciate your coming on the show with us today. Thanks so much, Justin. This has been great. I really appreciate you putting the series together and uh, getting people, getting RPCVs out there together, you know? That's right. really nice. That's right. All right. Thanks so much, Spencer. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a minute, we got your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas for how to get involved in sustainability now. So stay tuned, my friends. Down by the waterside Take our time Down by the waterside Got no worries and no worries Down by the waterside Good Lord We gonna set them
down to the river Oh, and sit and look at you And all, all I really want to say And we're back here on your community radio station, Forward Radio 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. My name is Justin Nog. You're listening to Sustainability Now. And quick thank you to Apple Latin. They're making the great music you hear behind me now, and they are generous enough to give us free access to their music to use on the podcast versions of our programs, which you can find on SoundCloud. They're all archived at forwardradio.org, and you can learn more about them at appalatin.com. Well, it's time on the program where we uh, get radioactive for sustainability. So get your calendars out, get your pencils sharpened, and get ready to take action this week to help bring sustainability about even now in the middle of a pandemic and this crazy holiday season this year. So coming up on Tuesday, the 15th at 7 p.m., it's the Greater Louisville Sierra Club's virtual 2020 wrap-up fest. Due to the pandemic, they're unable to hold their annual winter solstice celebration potluck this year, and there's probably no good virtual substitute for such a fun event, but they're going to give it a try. So expect the following on Tuesday. Tuesday at 7 p.m. There'll be two special guests, Bill Hollander, council person for Metro Louisville District 9, and Kentucky State Representative Attica Scott from District 41. Both will be giving brief remarks and answer a few questions. There'll be music by legendary local folk singer John Gage, a rundown of Greater Louisville's uh, work, the, the group's work in 2020 and local issues addressed, some special recognitions for the year, and a little digital video entertainment. You can find the link to join in the fun on Tuesday at 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. It's all at louisvillesierraclub.org. Also, Tuesday is the deadline. This December 15th is the early bird registration deadline for the Organic Association of Kentucky Conference, the Oak Conference that you heard all about here on this program recently. The conference is at the end of January, January 26th to 30th, and it's virtual this year, of course. And you'll want to get in on that early bird discount deadline uh, by Tuesday the 15th. It's the 10th annual Oak Conference going virtual so everyone can stay safe and enjoy it from wherever you are in comfort. Get ready for five days of learning and inspiration from 30 speakers, 25 different sessions, farmer roundtables, and a trade show. The Oak Conference is a must for farmers, ag professionals, home gardeners, and those passionate about building more resilient food systems right here in Kentucky. Conference sessions will provide useful tools, techniques, research, and knowledge that you can put to use today. Sessions will cover an array of organic production topics, regenerative agriculture, livestock management, market farming, racial equity in agriculture, soil health, no-till, climate change, organic production, seed sovereignty, homesteading, and food systems change-making. Learn from experienced farmers and national speakers in live sessions, Q&A, daily roundtable discussions, and keynotes, including Leah Penniman from Soul Fire Farm. She's amazing. Jean-Martin Fortier of Les Jardins de la Grelinette. 
Will Harris of White Oak Pastures, and journalist Judith Schwartz. A virtual trade show will connect you with uh, suppliers, machinery, financial institutions, and educational resources. The schedule's shifted to a relaxed five-day event with shorter sessions, live presentations, ample time for Q&A, and opportunities to connect with other conference goers. And if you can't catch all the sessions live from January 26th to 30th, recordings will be available for up to a year for everyone who registers. Again, registration is open at oak-ky.org. Get your tickets now to secure that uh, space and that discount. And uh, it's, again, January 26th to 30th, and the early bird deadline is this Tuesday the 15th. Go to oak-ky.org. Now, the Kentucky Waterways Alliance is holding a couple virtual events this week. There'll be a virtual coffee hour on Wednesday the 16th from 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. And there'll be a virtual happy hour. That's more my speed on Thursday the 17th from 4 to 5 p.m. They'll both be on Zoom. You can start or end your day with Kentucky Waterways Alliance staff and board members for these virtual events where you'll learn about their past work in 2020 and big plans for 21. Bring your own hot beverage and join us virtually for updates from staff and board. And get a chance to connect with other water enthusiasts from around the Commonwealth. It'll be fun and informational, and you can learn more and register at kwalliance.org. Again, that's Wednesday, 8.30 a.m. or Thursday the 17th at 4 p.m. You can learn more and register at kwalliance.org. And there's a couple other uh, virtual events on Wednesday evening, December 16th, you won't want to miss. At 6 p.m., it'll be the December Louisville Green Drinks from the Louisville Sustainability Council. This month's special speaker will be from the Louisville Compost Co-op. You heard all about them here on this program a few weeks ago, and they'll be discussing what is composting, what can you compost, and what can compost do for you. You'll also be learning about the co-op and its services you can register at Louisville Sustainability Council.org, and it's Wednesday the 16th at 6 p.m. online. Right after that, on the 16th at 7.30 p.m., the Union of Concerned Scientists will host an online discussion called Hypersonic Hype and the Ethics of Emerging Weapons Technology. Even though Trump leaves office on January 20th, the Biden administration seems poised to continue on the reckless, irresponsible path of spending some $1.2 trillion on nuclear weapons and new weapons technologies over the next 30 years. We're already seeing calls for the incoming administration to prioritize supposedly superior hypersonic missiles, spending billions of dollars per year in the process. But our hypersonics arms race would only heighten tensions and increase the likelihood of conflict between the U.S., China, and Russia. And what kind of implications do these nuclear advancements have for equity and justice? We'll be joined by two experts in the field to discuss this issue on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Dr. Cameron Tracy, a Kendall Fellow for Global Security Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists, will walk us through his innovative research on hypersonic missiles. These are often described as must-have weapons, but these claims are rarely backed up with vigorous science. In his talk, Cameron will cover what these weapons are, what they do, why many claims of their performance are overhyped, 
and policy recommendations going forward. We'll also hear from Dr. Aditi Verma, Stanton Nuclear Security Postdoctoral Fellow at Belfer Center's Project on Managing the Atom and the International Security Program. And Dr. Verma will examine the ethics of new weapons technology like hypersonics. We know that technologies are not apolitical. They are infused with the judgments and values of the people who have a seat at the table. But new technologies, including weapons, should be viewed through a lens of justice and equity. Using this lens, Aditi will help us examine how these technologies impact security and, importantly, whose security. You won't want to miss this really interesting event from the Union of Concerned Scientists on Wednesday the 16th, 8, the 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. You can find the link to register at facebook.com slash Union of Concerned Scientists. And coming up on Thursday, the 17th at noon, it's another online event. It'll be a Save Bernheim update. Uh, and you can register at bernheim.org. The public comment period for LGE's proposed national gas pipeline through Bernheim lands is now open until December 18th. Bernheim Forest is still under threat from condemnation of our natural land and construction of the proposed LGE gas pipeline. More than 90 years of land protection and nature-based education. Uh, after all of that, we still need your support to defend our forest streams springs and wildlife from this proposed pipeline that would break the conservation easement Bernheim has to cut through the Cedar Creek Wildlife Corridor. The Kentucky Division of Water must approve any construction or other activity in or along a stream that could in any way obstruct waterways or adversely impact water quality. The proposed lg gas pipeline, as stated in its water quality certification, would create substantial harm to water at Bernheim. Uh, of which may include hydrostatic wastewater discharge location on Bernheim that may release pollutants into streams and groundwater, landslide risk and slope destabilization, trenching and blasting of rock and soil, and permanent clearing of forests, along with impacts to sensitive aquatic and terrestrial species. Because of these serious and permanent impacts to the Cedar Creek watershed, the issuance of a 401 water quality certification from the Kentucky Division of Water will be required. The public is encouraged to submit their comments about the water quality certification to the Kentucky Division of Water. Comments must be received by the division no later than 4.30 p.m. this Friday, December 18th, and comments can be submitted by email to dowpubliknotice. That's the Division of Water, so dowpubliknotice at ky.gov. There's details and more information at Bernheim.org. And again, they'll be talking about this in detail on Thursday the 17th from noon to 1 in an online program that you can register for called the Save Bernheim Update. It's at Bernheim.org. Again, a reminder that the Urban Agriculture Coalition is doing public orchard winter workshops. Get your cold weather gear out and let's prune some fruit trees together. Proud Forward Radio community partner, the Urban Ag Coalition, is helping neighbors to prune the community orchards throughout Louisville again this year. Come out and learn to prune fruit trees and help maintain the trees in our community orchards. They'll be providing pruning tools, but you're welcome to use some if you have them. And you can sign up for as many dates as you like. There are dates throughout uh, early February at 
tinyurl.com slash orchards2020. And the last date in this calendar year is coming up on Saturday the 19th. It's 2 to 5 p.m. out at the Portland Food Forest, which is located at Portland Avenue at 29th Street. That's this Saturday, 2 to 5 p.m., Portland Avenue and 29th. You'll want to sign up and learn more at tinyurl.com slash orchards2020. And I also want to remind you about that 12 days of cooperation. Uh, This is the Louisville Community Grocery's major outreach event for the holidays. They're they're encouraging gifting and solidarity together. We're taking the 12 days of Christmas and applying them to 12 different days of teaching, training, activities, gifting, and celebration of all types, tying back to the mission and values of the Community Grocery. The goal is to bring in at least 500 new owners in this month to bring us to that 800-member goal we need by New Year's Eve so we can decide on and announce the location of our full-size store at the all-owner meeting taking place on January 19th. There's a few more activities in the schedule uh, coming up this Saturday the 19th at 2 to 3 p.m. It's a holiday treat drop-off for some of our senior citizens out on the West End. Seniors are extra lonely and in need this year, so let's cheer up our elders with notes of love and support, treats, and staple food items. You can register to volunteer for this heartwarming event at lufoodcoop.com slash 12 days. That's the number one, two days. Uh, Also, at the same place, you can uh, register and get the link to watch for the Sunday, December 20th, 6 to 8 p.m. Interfaith Music and Inspiration event taking place on Zoom. It'll be live performance from local houses of worship and beloved artists. Again, register to get the link to watch at lufoodcoop.com slash 12 days. And that's also a place to go to for some great holiday ordering. You can get uh, an order of holiday cards delivered. You order your pack of 12 holiday cards at lufoodcoop.com slash 12 days. Choose a date through the 23rd, and they'll confirm the address and time for delivery or pickup, whichever you prefer. They also have a date night delivery. You can have a special wintry night in with someone you love while supporting the Louisville Community Grocery. Your date night delivery includes a wine and cheese pairing from Cultured Cheese Shop and a ticket for two for a private session at the Louisville Salt Cave. Choose a date through the 23rd at lufoodcoop.com slash 12 days, and they'll confirm the address and time for delivery or pickup again, whichever you prefer. The delivery partner is up-and-coming black woman-owned local delivery app Limitless. And finally, you can order a local holiday gift box for your team with activities and local goodies for businesses and employers interested in buying their employees uh, a a gift along with Louisville Community Grocery Ownerships. You can order yours at lufoodcoop.com slash 12 days through the 23rd. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Stay tuned to Ford Radio, though. Lots of great stuff coming up, and I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Oh, Mary, all happy and bright. By and by, hard times are coming knocking at the door. My whole Kentucky home.